We're moving through a sermon series uh, that I basically took as feedback from the congregation. Uh, I put the question out. I've always wanted to hear a sermon on, and, and y'all fill in the blank and, and let me know what you'd like to hear. And uh, sifted through the questions, and this is one of those questions that uh, kind of r- rose to the, to the top in a variety of ways. Uh, the importance of the church. I received some feedback on the question about membership. Why is membership such a big deal? Why is that a big deal? Or the question that came in uh, that was just truly, a, just kind of an honest question. How do I deal with someone in my church family that I just don't really like? <laughs> That's an honest question. What do I do? How does this work? Questions related to this. I've been hurt in previous church experiences. I, I've, I've had bad experiences. I feel like I've been wounded, and I'm, I'm a little hesitant to, to, to commit, to dive in again. I just don't, I don't want that to happen again. What should I do, right? So you, do, you deal with questions kind of in this, in this sphere, and they all kind of related to this, this topic of what we're doing right now, the church. And so I wanted to, to deal with some of those, but then look big picture as well and do a kind of a sermon on some ecclesiology, the, the doctrine of the church. What do we believe? What is the church? And what are we to be about as we gather? What's the most important thing that we should do? And so that's where we're going to be really camping today. And I want to just begin with this question. Uh, Do you love the church? Do you love the church? Now, I'm not talking about the the walls, the building, although praise the Lord for a place to meet. I always like it when a a church is is kept well. Uh, I think it shows uh, something of the people that are meeting in it, right? We don't, we're not meeting in a rundown place, but we don't gather to make much of the building. That's not the church, ultimately, is it? Do you love the church, the people of God, the bride of Christ? Do you love her? Are you, are you delighted in her? Both this local expression, but, but around the world. Do you love the church? You know, as a young man, God put in me a love for the church. And honestly, I, I am so grateful for that. It has blessed me over and over. I have always just had a, a, a delight in a love for God's people. Just love God's people. I was five days old when I went to church for the first time. Born on a Tuesday in church on Sunday morning. My mom wasn't going to miss church for anything. In fact, she served punch at a wedding the day before. I grew up in a pastor's family. I'm a pastor's kid, which means I didn't just grow up in the church. Like, I was, in, I was at church every time the doors were unlocked, basically. Um, we were in the mix. We were, we were rolling bulletins on the old bulletin printer. You, anyone remember those things? Yep, Saturday night, Dad would call, boys, they forgot to set up the chairs in the sanctuary. We'd, we'd run up to the church at 10 o'clock at night. 800 chairs had to be set. That was me, Right? Uh, I, I had a wonderful view into the, the workings of the church in, in, in many ways that, that many members of, of the church just don't experience. Um, our family treated the ministry not as something that dad did, but something that we all were called to be a part of. We prayed together regularly for heavy things, and I appreciated that. I don't despise being a pastor's kid one bit. I'm grateful for it. I was able to serve in various ways. I, I went to Awana for a while. Then I was the games coordinator for Awana. Yeah, right? All the little lines in the thing. And 
And then I was in the youth group, right, regularly leading that and a part of that. And in fact, that's one of the reasons I didn't play organized sports because I, I, I cared more about youth group and serving there. I want to be in the mix there. Then led small groups as I got older and, uh, and married and, and up in there. I just loved the church. I wanted to serve. Did whatever. My first job in the church was a secretary. I answered phones and printed bulletins. I just wanted to help whatever I could do. Just work and serve in the church. I've coordinated men's ministry, women's ministry, sports ministry, all kinds of various ministries and different expressions, different ways. I've seen a lot of things. Let me give you a little glimpse here. There's the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you've been around church for any period of time, you kind of know where I'm going, right? You, you've probably got a little bit of this in your experience. I have seen God do miracles wonders the most spectacular things that i have been privy to front row seat is when he takes someone who is dead in their sins lost spiritually without life and makes them live through the power of the gospel that is the greatest miracle and it happens every day all around the world it's literally changed people from the inside out people running toward the fires of hell, all of a sudden radically, powerfully gripped by grace, and now they, they run after Jesus. That is what a joy I've seen. I've seen marriages on the rocks, on the verge of total collapse, and the power of God in the gospel, in his grace, the forgiveness of Christ meets hard hearts, softens them, changes them, weaves them back together, and today, marriages thriving stronger than ever. God did that. I got to see that happen more than once, many times. I've seen people serve, pour themselves out, thanklessly, really, behind the scenes, like giving, pouring, working, serving. I've seen consistency. I've seen maturing take place. What a beautiful thing to watch someone who's immature grow up into maturity, right? And then begin to lead others to do the same. I've seen saints die in peace, at peace with God. That's a beautiful thing. I've seen people come into the church and be embraced. I'm talking people that don't, that, that, that don't really fit the mold. You know what I mean? Like, I love that. I love it when our doors are open. Come all. Come anyone. Come and hear good news. And to watch the church embrace them. Not stiff arm them. That's just a glimpse of the good. I've also been in a few business meetings that were a little intense. I remember as a kid one time, a business meeting that was so intense that there was men in the church that came and sat around our family because they were concerned that it was going to disintegrate into the chair-throwing kind of business meeting. Thankfully, it didn't happen. I never forget the day when my dad called and said, I just finished a counseling meeting. I want you boys to get the shotguns, load them, and don't let anybody come through the front door. He threatened to attack my family, and he left and to sit on the steps with my shotgun loaded, pointing at the front door and watch that man drive past our house. I remember that. I'll never forget that. I was 14. 
I have watched grown men behave like kindergartners. I have seen levels of immaturity, levels of carnality set on display as if it was holiness. I stood in this spot right here a number of years ago and I watched a church split unfold before my eyes, led by wolves. I've seen arguments over fabric, church decorations. I've seen arguments over argyle socks. <laughs> I've seen people in a tizzy about a pair of blue jeans that someone chose to wear. This kind of stuff happens. It happens. I have been the recipient of slander and attack not by a few, but by many. The line is long in this county. If there was anyone with a reason to be very jaded about the church, I'm one at least in this room. I got a list. I got many reasons to really not love the church. I'll tell you. But I do. I love her. I love the church. Because here's the thing. The church on her very worst day is a beautiful mess. She's a beautiful mess. And on her best day, she's still just a work in progress. Right? We're, we're not there yet. This dress means so much to me. This is the dress my wife wore 21 years ago. I'll never forget that moment. I'll tell you what I remember about that day. I stood in the front and I watched her come around that aisle and my heart went through the roof like a bride ready for her groom. She came down the aisle and I saw the book of Revelation unfold before my eyes. And this ring happened on that day. This ring is my symbol of commitment to the church. And I wear this ring. It's not as shiny as this ring, but it will be someday. Okay? She is not finished yet. This is what she will look like someday, but there's still mud on the gown right now. She's, she's being chiseled and washed and refined, but she's still the bride. She's still the bride of Christ who bled and died to ransom her and Bring her out of death and darkness into his marvelous light. Do you love the church? Do you love the church? Love the church. Hmm. Sometimes people get to this place, they're just, just seen too much, just jaded. And, yeah, listen, I'll take Jesus. I don't, I don't want his church. I don't, I don't want that church. I got nothing to do with those people. I'm done with it. In fact, you'll see a wholesale just desertion of the bride altogether. Many people, they stiff arm the bride. Give me Jesus, I don't, you keep that church stuff. I don't want it. Why is that? Why is that? Deserting the bride of Christ as if there's a choice, right? Like, you get, you get to pick. I'll take the groom. Jesus, I love hanging out with you, but don't bring your wife, man. She's awful. It doesn't really fly, does it? 
Spurgeon, I believe it was Spurgeon, told the story of a woman in his church that constantly complained. Every week she had a list of things, just gripe and moan and complain. And, and finally the day came when she'd had enough. She's like, I'm leaving. That's it, I'm out, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. And Spurgeon said, I think it was Spurgeon, he said, uh, ma'am, can I give you a bit of advice? Would, would, you, would you just listen, do me a favor? He said, when you find a perfect church out there, just do me a favor, don't join because you'll ruin it. <laughs> wow. You see what he's saying, though? It's so easy to spot all the imperfections in everybody else and to forget, in fact, that you two are a work in progress. In fact, I'll go on record by saying this. Our church is a work in progress because you're here. <laughs> and our church is a work in progress because I'm here. We, together are being grown, washed, sanctified, made pure to be glorious in the image of Christ. But we're not there yet. So don't be surprised when there's mud on the gown. Don't get jaded and don't, don't say, I don't want, I don't want her. I don't, I don't want anything to do with her. Sometimes people will kind of end up in this place where they're kind of jaded, they're still there and, and that kind of thing, but it's just going to throw a little mud at her. Like, that points things out. Like, insulting the bride, you know. Hmm. I always wondered this. People say stuff like this. Well, Christians, will, they say this, but they really do this. Or, you know, the people who, who love the Lord, who, 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 you know, the generation before, maybe the, 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 the older folks, right? It's easy to criticize the generation before, isn't it? It happens a lot. Well, they did this. They say all these things, but the churches are full of hypocrites. Or listen to what George Barna concluded years ago. This, this is kind of like lightning rod moment where you just kind of slide away, you know. He said, listen, if the church is the hope of the world, then the world is without hope. I wholeheartedly disagree with George Barna. I stopped listening to his crazy surveys years ago because he's got an agenda. He is pushing against institutional church and trying to push this network of just, you know, out small little things and, and, and get rid of institution and structure and just push it out. I don't agree. I don't agree. Now listen, the hope of the world is Jesus. He's the hope of the world. How has he chosen to deliver his message? The church. His bride. I have every confidence in the church because I have every confidence in the groom who is committed and said, I will never leave you or forsake you, ever. We're going to make it. We're going to accomplish the mission, not because of us, but because of him. It's going to be okay. One day we're going to shine like this dress. What does Jesus think when his church is insulted? Have you ever thought of this like, Jesus up there like, ooh, that was a good one, man. High five. Boom. Bring it. Bump it. You just totally shredded on my bride. You know what? Uh, that, that, you really got her there. Like, let's, let's just make it real. Let's try this. Jenny, would you stand? I need five volunteers to insult my wife right now. Come on. Wait, should we? How's that going to go down? How does Jesus respond 
when his bride is insulted. How did he respond to Paul when he knocked him off his horse? As he ravaged the church, as he was persecuting and imprisoning and murdering Christians. You know what he said to Paul? He said, why do you persecute me? Now, he didn't say my, my bride. You're persecuting me, Paul. When you insult my church, you insult me. That's what Jesus feels about his church. And so we better be careful before we begin to mock or get bitter or get jaded or start lobbing softballs at, at the church. Let me be careful. I don't want to overstate my point. It doesn't mean that there isn't a rightful place for critique. If a church abandons the gospel, we need to call that what it is. If a ministry is unfaithful to the word of God, then that needs to be addressed. Okay? But what's the goal? Tear them down? No. The goal is purify the bride. Build her up. Sanctify her. Keep her faithful. That's the goal. There is a place to assess, but it's to build, not just to tear down. We, we live in a day where you just tear things down. Just, just rip it all up. I got respect for people who build stuff. That's way harder. Anybody can burn stuff, rip it down. Let's build something. That's what the church is called to do. And it is a marathon, not a sprint. We run this race and we build and it happens one day and we get up the next day and we do it all over again. And we gather for a Sunday and then we do it the next week and then we do 52 of those and then we do another year and another year. That's how it works. That's the kingdom work that we're called to do. Listen to Paul encourage us from Ephesians 4. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Basically, he's saying, act like Christians, right? Carry the name of Christ in a way that honors him. How? Humbly. Do it humbly. And gen with gentleness. That's, my wife did a teaching on that years ago. Handle with care. I'll never forget that. Handle with care. Gently with patience, bearing with one another. I, I picture this, a brother or sister in the Lord that's just, they're just a little bit edgy. They're just immature. They're, they're just, they're, sometimes they just annoy people. And you just get their arm and you say, come on, bear, I'm bearing with you. We're coming together. I love you no matter what. I'm committed. I'm going to help you grow. I'm committed to you. Even if you offend me, even if you step on my toes, we're in this together. And vice versa, right? Because sometimes the pastor is a sinner too. And he'll say things that hurt people's feelings. Or he'll respond in a way that's not as gentle as he should. And, and he needs to ask forgiveness. And to be granted that. You have to bear with me too. Because I'm a work in progress. In love, we bear with one another eager to maintain unity. I want to commend you, Good Shepherd Community Church, for the unity set on display over the last five months, six months. A lot of churches are getting at each other right now, and it's not pretty. But by the grace of God, I have seen an eagerness, a patience, a willingness, a unity. 
That's the fruit of God at work in you. I applaud you to the glory of God for that. Thank you. Keep it up. You've made shepherding easy for the elders over the last number of months. And I'm grateful. I feel uniquely blessed by that because I talked to a number of pastors and they're, they're pulling their hair out. It's tough right now. There are some concerning church trends I want to draw your attention to. I, I speak of these not as only an observer, but as one who's experienced working in churches that have pushed this way and uh, in some cases run off the, the edge of orthodoxy to pursue this kind of stuff. So I'll just say this up front. There is a generational pride where it kind of wells up and there's this idea that we just got to change things up. And I'm not against change if it's biblical, okay? But change for change's sake is never a good idea when you're in the church. Let's look at some of these things. These are what I'm calling, um, they're, they're, they're false dichotomies. You're pitting one thing against another when in fact you can have a both and. There's a generational push that's kind of a postmodern deconstructionist idea that, that we're all about community, we don't want institution. You feel that in you? I mean, it's kind of there, isn't it? You kind of feel like, oh, institutions, eh, community, yeah. That's where we're at. Careful. Those are not necessarily opposed. Do you realize that hierarchy is in Genesis 1 and 2 before the fall? It's woven into the very creation fabric of God. It's good. He pronounces it good. Well, we're all about relationship, not membership, man. Don't, don't make me sign on some paper. I just want to love, man. I'm all about love, loving the people. Let's talk about love when someone really ticks you off. And your membership agreement says, I will resolve conflicts biblically, sign and date. It's helpful. It's been very helpful in our church. We have doubled down on church membership. And by God's grace, I think it's blessed our church to encourage people to commit, plant. Don't just float around. Yes, relationship and membership. Authenticity, not authority. We just want authenticity. Man, we don't want people, uh, you know, getting in our face. We, we would prefer conversation over confrontation. Preacher, you need to get down here with us, with the people. In fact, you know, just sit down. Just sip some coffee, and let's just have a conversation. Let's pretend we're in Starbucks. Then it'll be relevant. Hmm. I disagree. The Word of God has been set forth to be proclaimed with authority such that we can say, Thus saith the Lord, and we get there with Him. And we submit our will, not my will, but yours be done. And we repent of our sins, right? That's the kind of thing that needs to take place. But friends, yes to conversations. You know, sitting down, Pastor, help me understand this. I've got questions. Absolutely, let's do that too. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't have to be either or to these things. Except for this one. <laughs> Online, not in person. Let's just, let's just agree. Online, that's not church. It isn't. YouTube, church, that's not church. 
For eight weeks, we suffered through having our doors closed. Eight weeks. That was all I could abide was eight weeks. And we did that for love, to protect our people and be gracious to our neighbors. After that, I'm watching the analytics, people. I can see the YouTube follow. I can see details of of how long you track and how much of the sermon you hear, and it drops. It's not church. It's not. You can't replace what we have here with YouTube or Facebook. It won't work. And I fear for churches that have decided to go that route. I fear for congregations that are just adrift right now. We need the gathering. Praise God that we can be here in person, together. Well, Pastor, we're all about activity. I mean, we don't want to sit around in some stuffy room and talk about Bible passages. We want to get out on the streets and do some work. Amen to that, right? That's great. What are you going to share when the questions come? What is the gospel? What, what do you believe about the divinity of Christ? How do you understand what mission looks like if you don't have some time here studying, learning, sharpening that sword before you run off into battle? We need both, friends. We need both. The one leads us to the other. It's how it always is. We gather so we can scatter effectively, built up, equipped. Now go. Let it rip. This last one, this is not a both hand, but it happens a lot. There is a lot of embracing of the culture. We want to appease the culture, cultural trends. This is what's important to the culture. This is what everybody's talking about, so we have to talk about it. This is what everybody believes now. It's acceptable now. The pressure's on. We don't want to be offensive. So let's just embrace it and let's just drift along and follow wherever the culture goes. Friends, culture is organized sin. It's what it is. It's organized sin. We are called not to be a church that embraces the culture and just drifts downstream. We're called to evangelize the nations, people, sinners, In every nation, tribe and tongue, they need Jesus. They need to hear the call, like last week, to repent of their sins and trust Jesus as Lord. That's what they need more than anything. They don't just need our love. They need our love with the gospel. And so there's work to do here. I mean, I hope you feel some of this, this like, oh, there is kind of an instinct. I kind of feel that. It's helpful sometimes just to lay it out. Here's what I'm seeing. we got to be careful. Let's resolve to be uh, those who can live in tension with these things and not just throw out the baby with the bathwater. Resolve to be standing firm. Now, to our passage in Ephesians chapter 4, listen to the contrast to these verses as we read them. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to what? What end? To equip you, the saints. For what? For the work of ministry. What's interesting is I'm a vocational pastor. It's my full-time job to equip you to work, to do the work of ministry. That's what I do for work, is equip you for work. That's our shepherding role. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. There's work to do. There's people to tell, disciples to make. 
What is our goal? Just converts? No. Mature manhood. To grow roots into the gospel, into the word of God. To know him, love him, and understand his word. To the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. That is our goal, to be Christ-like. Now he goes on. Listen to the contrast here. So that if, if we can accomplish that, we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, right? You wake up one day, well, what's the important trend in the church? Well, Bill Hybels said we're supposed to do this. And so Willow Creek Association, let's read all the books and follow the, the blueprint. And, and then the next day it's, it's Saddleback and, and oh, what's the guy, the beard? Rick Warren, and, and it's 40 days of everything, right? And the journal, right? So you're doing this, so we're going to do 40 days. And, and then the next trend, okay? And I just say this, I'm sick of just whatever is the next big publishing push. I, I, I just say the book that matters most is already published. It's right here. So we can have a foundation. We can, we can sit secure and not be floating around and following all of this church growth strategies and this and that, carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, what are we to do? Speak the truth, the word of God, from the heart, in love. Winsomely truth-teller. That, that's our role. Tell the truth. Not brash, arrogant, angry, but this is the word of God. It's his word. I love you too much to be quiet about it. As we do this, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. He is the head from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped and which, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that the body builds itself up in love. That's amazing. That's our call. It means that you're a part. You have a role to play in this. We're, we're, we're connected, friends. This church thing, this is not just some, you know, relic of modernism. Let's get together and sing and, and pray. No, this is like, this is the body of Christ in action. Hmm. So, let's ask the question, what is the church? What is the church? A few things on this. The church of Jesus Christ is, number one, both universal and local. Okay, when you, when you think, what is the church? I want you to think in both categories. Now, some people have said, listen, all I need is a universal church. I just need to be a Christian, and that's good. I'm part of the church. I do whatever I want. I don't even need to go to a church. I am the church. I'm just going to be the church. Have you heard this trend? We don't need anything organized or institutionalized. We just be who we are. That's not what the New Testament says. That's not what Jesus has said. Listen to our statement of faith here on this topic. We believe and teach that all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ are, in fact, united together immediately by the Holy Spirit into one spiritual body, the church, capital C, of which Christ is the head and builder. What a beautiful thing. The members of this one body 
are directed to associate themselves together as local expressions of this larger body. We believe and teach that the local church is an organized community, a common unity of baptized believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the church. That's our, that's our definition. So when you think about the, the church, I want you to think it's universal. We, we are part of a spiritual body that those in Uganda this morning, as they sang already, they're, they're a part of that too. They're brothers and sisters. We're together with them. But we are together here as an expression of the body of Christ, visibly knit together to shine bright. The church is a gathering, so it's a universal and a local expression. Number two, the church is a gathering, and I think this is so important for us in our day. Given all that we've experienced in 2020, let me emphasize some verses. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. There's a context of our expression of love for one another. See, expression not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, we live in a day that is testing and trying, and in many cases, attempting to keep churches closed. We have a command that directly contradicts that from the Lord. And we're here by God's grace. Praise the Lord that we're here. We could be here today in obedience to this command. The church is a gathering. You cannot successfully do church if you don't gather. It's not church. Hmm. I would encourage pastors and leaders of churches that remain closed to really pray about this. I fear for churches that have their doors closed and continue to stay closed. I fear for congregations that are just adrift. As the day draws near, more than ever those doors should be open. Hmm. Now, if they're not preaching the gospel, keep them closed. I'm fine with that. (laughs) The word church, ecclesia, appears 111 times in the New Testament. It's interpreted church or gathering or congregation or one place, assembly, right? Ecclesia. The word ecclesia most literally carries this, this out, out, called out. Those who have been called out to assemble together. What have we been called out from? The darkness. Out of sin. We've been called out of the dark into his marvelous light to be together. Together. To shine. Called out. Ecclesia, that's why we call it ecclesiology. That's the study of or the doctrine of the church. The church is also an indispensable institution. Indispensable institution. In our day, people will look at authority and see it as kind of a result of the fall. I've heard talk about this all the time. I just totally disagree. Authority is glorious and true. It's true of God. It's true of what he's made. If you read through Genesis 1 and 2, you'll find it. It's all over the place. It's woven in. The church is an institution because it's been instituted by God himself to be that which it is. 
And no postmodern, anti-institutional thinking is going to redefine what the Scripture has set up and established by God. Let me point you to a few places. Now, first, just a little from our statement of faith. Submitted to the headship of Christ and organized under biblically qualified elders, that would be men who meet the requirements, associated by a biblical covenant of faith, unified by the Word of God, and empowered by the Spirit of God, the purpose of the church is to glorify God. Whoa! It's like a shotgun of New Testament reality. Christ is the head of the church, His body, as we've already seen, and, it's, and is Himself its Savior. He's the head. He, he is the one who is the authority. He is the good shepherd under which all of us together submit. But that's not the only structure to the church. The next level of structure, as Paul encouraged in Titus, appoint what remains in order. Appoint overseers in each town. And, and, and they, again, they gave the, the qualification for elders. Overseers or elders, or as sometimes we call them under-shepherds. We shepherd under who? The good shepherd, Jesus himself. And then there's the membership. The membership. You find this in the New Testament. They didn't have this ambiguity about who is the church and who's not. They knew. They had roles and numbers. They knew the widows that they were to care for because they were documented as members, church, identifiable. How do you do pra uh, practice church discipline if you don't have an active, committed, identifiable membership? You can't. Not very successfully. Who is the pastor to lay awake at, at night and pray for? It's just any random person that walks in the door, or is it an identifiable body of believers that have committed, this is my home, this is my family, this is the church? I will just mention this. I know there's a lot of movement happening right now, and I get that, but I think the long-term vision for any local church is that if you look in the New Testament, there is literally no biblical category for this, regular attender. You can't find it. There's lost and those that are being evangelized and the church. Those that have been saved, identified, and plugged in and, and, and participating. So I would encourage you to Plant, put your feet down, build roots, make a commitment, find a home. And then for the members, this call from Hebrews, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Do you realize the responsibility that is before the Lord that your pastor and your elders carry? We take this very seriously. We will someday stand before the Good Shepherd and give an account for the way we cared for His precious sheep. And we're called to do that faithfully, and you're called to welcome it. He says, let your leaders do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Oh, this church has, has welcomed the leadership of the elders. We, we are so grateful for that. You have given, uh, not groaning, to the work of shepherding and leading. We're grateful for that. Keep it up. Keep it up. The church of Jesus Christ is also a building. And you might say, well, wait a second. I thought you said it wasn't a building. Well, not like this. 
This is sticks and stones and mortar. I'm talking about the building that is the people of God. Listen to how Peter puts it. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, that's Christ, our cornerstone, you yourselves are like living stones. Think of this. You come and, and God brings you in. You're alive. You're, you're a living stone. And he, he begins to set you in place and, and chisel where it needs to be chiseled, right? To get you just right in line with that cornerstone who set the mark of holiness. And he, he's building us together into what? A spiritual house, a temple. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The church is a building with a foundation. Imagine if you were driving through Bellingham and you saw a property that had a, a foundation dug and you drove by and you're like, well, there's people sitting in there around a table with chairs and lamps and having dinner. Where's the house? Well, that's the church. The foundation is Christ. The house must be in place, right? A Christian without the church is like trying to live in a foundation with no house. You can't do it. You can't do it. We're called to be the building that he builds person by person. The church of Jesus Christ is also referred to as a body. We've seen this already. Let me show you another in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It'd be a little weird for those who say, hey, just give me Jesus, but I don't want the church. I mean, just picture a head. You're just carrying around a head with you. Yeah, I got Jesus, man. I'm good. It's all I need. That doesn't really work. You see what you're missing? You're missing the whole body. He comes with the body, and the body is the church. That's our call. That's, that's what he calls us to be, to do. And we're knit together. We're unified. We're one in this. Another from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and, uh, through 14. Just as the body is one, has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one. Listen to the unity expressed here among the distinction of members. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, be it Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Think of the, the differences there brought together to be one. Now, all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And so Paul goes on to talk, you know, how can the eye say to the to hand or whatever, I don't need you? Or what if all of a sudden the ankle on a Sunday morning just said, eh, I'm sick of church. We got problems, right? We need an ankle. Maybe you're the ankle. You might be. We are to be the, the visible expression of Christ to a hurting world. A lost world. So when we talk about the hand, Lord, make me the hands and feet, I'm talking about you might be the hand that day at work. Maybe you're the feet that helps deliver the message from Sunday morning into the workplace. You see what I'm saying? We're part of this thing. Sometimes we treat church by thinking of it as like a spiritual buffet. I, I just want to come. I just want to consume. I, I want... I want 
dessert. I want a drink. I need a main course. Maybe not in that order, but I'm here for the buffet, right? At some point along the way, it changes. And you begin to say, I'm actually not just here to take. I want to give. I want to pour out. How can I help? How can I help? The move from walking into church on Sunday morning and saying, here I am, everybody, to Christian maturity, which says, hey, there you are. You see the difference? Massive. It's massive. That's a mark of maturity. We move from from feeding and only addressing our needs to saying, I got overflow. How can I pour out? What can I do to help? How can I serve? How can I give? The church is also a bride. This is my favorite one. That's why I've got the dress here today. And my favorite passage on this is Revelation 19, 6 through 8. Listen to these verses. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Every time you obey in the power of God and you speak and you serve and you give, it makes that dress brighter and brighter. To His glory. This is His accomplishment through our lives. There will be a great reception someday. And we will make much of the groom forever. Now, the priorities of the church. I just want to address this. If we think about what is the most important thing we do when we gather, Acts chapter 2 gives us a good lead. They devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayers. These things characterize the early church, and they are to characterize our church as well. The priority of God's word. Preach it, teach it, study it, obey it, love it, follow it, carry it to the lost. Prayer and fellowship. What a special part this is. When one member suffers, we all suffer. When when there's a need over here, we try to find a way to meet that need. How can we help? What can we do? We want to pray first and foremost. And then the fellowship, Christian fellowship. This is sharing lives together. Going through the good times and the bad times. Laughing and crying. Weddings and funerals and everything in between. Hmm. They practiced the ordinances. They kept the Lord's Supper, right? Breaking bread in their homes, that's a reference to obedience to Christ and keeping His Supper as He commanded. And we would add believers' baptism, which was commanded at the Great Commission. So the two ordinances of of the church baptism and the Lord's Supper. We are to celebrate. A church is not a church that doesn't practice the ordinances and church discipline. That's been commanded. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5. We practice that here. It's increasingly rare in our day to find churches that are going to be willing to commit to love people like that. We want to be that kind of church that's faithful to the call of the Word in that. Most often you don't hear about it because by God's grace, things don't have to raise up to that level where we have to tell the church. 
But it has happened. When someone decides to walk in the dark and claims to walk in the light, we love enough to speak up and say, listen, brother, I, I think you need to know you're, you're in the dark here. This is sin. It's a pattern of sin. It's settled. We're calling you to repent. We love you too much to not say something. Evangelism and disciple-making are the canopy over it all like we talked about last week. So the world's greatest need. What does the world need most from a local church? Some local churches are really excited about their property and their building. Right? It's like, oh, amazing place. Come and just, just feel how awesome our building is. That's not what the world needs most. There's great churches all over. The world's greatest need is also not a church that is just all about getting people elected. We're just a political entity. We, we want to vote. We want to elect people. And that's our biggest contribution to the need of the world. Wrong. It's not true. It's not the world's greatest need. Now, it might be something that we have a heart for, but it's not the first priority. The world's greatest need is not a church that's all about the environment. Oh, man, we want to have recycled cups for coffee. We want to, you know, have, uh, I don't know, wind power for our electric fans, come up with all kinds of other... It's not the world's greatest need. In our day, maybe it's social justice. We're all about justice. We want to be a voice for those who are oppressed. Our purpose is to be all about social justice. That is not, my friends, the world's greatest need. The world needs Jesus. That's the world's greatest need. They need Jesus. They need the call to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus and find salvation. And it addresses all of those things. Maybe not the building thing. That's the greatest need. And think of how it connects to the witness of our love then. Do you love the church? Do you love God's people? Because here's the connection. The witness of our love is one of the loudest affirmations that in fact the gospel is real and true when we love one another like he loved us. Listen to what he said. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Hmm. So do you love the church? I pray that as we move through this morning, your love for the church, by God's grace, has grown. Your sensitivity to the imperfections of those who sit around you and your awareness of your own has been a bit dialed in. Your understanding that your elders are sinners in the process of being sanctified as well has grown. Maybe the baggage that you have brought with you of past offenses and horrible things that have happened to you in the church like I have myself. Maybe we can find a way to set that stuff down and just focus on loving the bride. Response this morning, I want to give six things. The first is this. A word of advice is love the groom and always look to him for help. I think sometimes people come to church and want the church to be savior, right? They want, they want the church to fix all of the issues in their life. They want the pastor to be their deliverer or the elders or the counselors, right? We can't do that. The church is not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. He's the one you need. We're the ones pointing to him, 
and saying, look what he did for me. Look how he changed me. Look how he can work in your life. Look to him. Look to him. He's our only hope. Number two, seek to love the bride like Jesus loves her. You think the glimmer in his eye when he sees his bride, right? Even with her imperfections, he loves her. I will never leave you or forsake you. That, that delight that he has in his eye, I want in mine. I want to love God's people and be committed to them like he is to them. Pray to that end. Help me love your people, Lord, like you love them. Number three, stop dating and make a long-term commitment. This gets real, doesn't it? There's a, a carousel of church hopping in our county. It's not unique to our county. It happens all over the place. Here's how it goes. I come to a church. I'm like, yes, honeymoon stage. This church is perfect. I love it. And then all of a sudden, something happens, and you're like, ooh, gone, out the door. I didn't like that. And then you go to the next church, and you do the same thing. And then like six churches later, you're like, wait a second, what's wrong? And Spurgeon begins to say, hey, don't join, you'll ruin it. You see the problem? You're never going to find the perfect church. Partly because you're there. So stop dating, putting one toe in the water here, and then I jump over here and hear a little of this, and then you listen to this one. No, you need a church family. You need a church home. You need a place to put roots down and let generations come up. You need a place where you can bear one another's burdens as a family member, committed to them, and know their commitment to you. Join the church. Join the church. Don't fall into the category of regular attender year after year after year. It's time to join at some point. Number four, stop blaming and start building. Start building. Yeah, there's work to be done. Without a doubt, there's work to be done. Our church is a work in progress for sure. All of us are. Instead of tearing her down, let's find a way to build her up. How can you help? What can you do? What little piece can you contribute that may make it better rather than just sitting back and lobbing in attacks? Number five, pray for her. Do you pray for the church, both this church and the universal church, her work all around the world as she seeks to fulfill the mission? Pray for her and persevere with her. Don't hit the crash bar right? That inclination to, to run and jump ship, put it down and persevere. Wear the ring. Wear the ring. Don't give up. There is a time to leave a church if the church has left the gospel. There's a time to leave a church, a church that's not committed to the biblical call of the Word of God. That's, that's appropriate. But so often I see people just drifting around and floating. I just long for them to just land and dig deep. Number six, this is the greatest encouragement. Remember someday she will be perfect. Someday she's going to shine. She is going to be dressed in white and no mud 
on that gown any longer, right? No more work to be washing. She is going to be presented. We together be presented to the groom. And so we will live happily ever after. It's the greatest love story ever told. And by grace, we get to be a part of it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we give praise to you for your giving of the church to us. We thank you for the gospel and the accomplishment of your Son, our Savior, and thank you that you don't just make us alive and then leave us to wander around left to ourselves, but that you instantly weave us into the spiritual body of your people, your church, your bride, and then you call us to find a local expression where we can find a home, a family, and commit and grow and help one another grow and serve and give and love and laugh and cry. Oh, Father, thank you for the church. I pray that you would stir in us a greater love for your church. As we love you, I pray that our love for you would move to your bride. Oh, forgive us when we're critical of her, when we sit back and accuse her and point out all her flaws. Oh, Lord, we know we have, we've done that. Help us to love her the way you love her, to see her future the way you see her future, as if it's already taken place. And help us to work to that end. Lord, begin with us as individuals. We are works in progress. We, we pray that you would make us holy, make us the kind of people who would, who would help contribute to the building of your church. For your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.